Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, that was beautiful. Today, the one, the only, first name greatest, last name ever, the artist formerly known as Sissy, Mora Sisley. Which way are you going? Which way are you going? I'm coming here. Yeah. Here I come, New Abby. Come on in. Here you come, New Abby. Yeah. Is going to be bringing the heat today. Yeah. Mora, love you. See Thank you. Thank you, Corey. All right. Well, now we have a new word for it, the plague. <laughs> Thank you, Marissa Clark, for really putting it to us. It truly has been a plague. And as, as we head into the end of the year, it feels even more like a plague. Um, if you're like me, you know, and you live alone, basically, and the person that lives in your house is leaving for 15 days or something for the holidays, and all you have is you and your dog, and you're supposed to shelter in place, it really sucks. So if you're out there feeling like that, know that you're not alone. And it is possible that this may not be the most difficult or worst moment of your life. In fact, for some people, it may actually be that. And if so, I pray for you and hear that because it's just hard right now. And as a mental health professional, I see my clients who've been maintaining and maintaining and maintaining, starting to kind of decompensate, you know, because it's just hard. So on that positive, happy note, <laughs> on this Sunday of joy, ugh. The conversation we're going to have is about how waiting in the darkness sometimes gives birth to joy. And so our question for conversation today is this. How or what has been one of the most difficult experiences of your life so far? Well, welcome back uh, to the bigger conversation with all 12 of us here trying to run this show today. Um, wherever you are, whatever your conversation was, whether you were in a Zoom group or maybe you were at home with somebody talking or maybe you were just having a conversation within yourself about this time, question of what has been one of the most difficult experiences of your life. One of the things about growing up in the evangelical fundamentalist kind of traditions is that we didn't talk enough about darkness and how to deal with darkness, how to deal with the inner stirrings that were not joyful and happy and delightful and pleasing to God. We didn't talk about how to deal with desires and um, hungers that were described within that tradition as not pleasing to God. Much of what we got was just this, you know, pray it away, uh, pray the gay away, or the name it and claim it. And the idea that we should be, if we were in alignment or in right relationship with Christ, we should somehow be happy all the time and everything's good and we have a positive outlook. And if we weren't that way, there must be something wrong with our faith. 
that we were not doing something right, and therefore our problem with God was really about our own failure. Well, I'm here to tell you that was bullshit. One of the gifts of looking at the longer tradition of our faith is if we go back to the beginning, and with most of church history, there was a strong tradition uh, called the mystical or contemplative tradition that really addressed these stirrings of the soul in a way that actually helped people work with them in a way that did not cause them to lose faith. Uh, one of the things I've discovered as I've been in the new Abbey community is there's a lot of deconstruction happening where it's kind of like people end up throwing out everything and just abandoning faith altogether because it was all bullshit. And that is a very unfortunate and tragic uh, outcome of having been raised in that tradition that did not give us helpful tools for dealing with those inner stirrings. And so my hope today is that as we talk about waiting in the darkness, which is what the Advent season is about, we can learn something about how in the midst of the darkness, there can be moments that we encounter that actually equip us to stay sturdy and strong in our faith, even when everything's falling apart. And the story that I want to begin with today is the story of Mary and her, uh, her unfortunate, unexpected encounter with an angel who tells her that, in fact, she's going to have a baby, um, that she's found favor with God, and that somehow that is a good thing, um, and that she's going to conceive and bear a son. Um, and la di da di da and, and her question of how can this be uh, since I am a virgin? And, well, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come. You know the story. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and, and all things are going to be possible with God. Well, I think that in the version we get in the Bible, I think it's kind of modified. <laughs> I think there's some editing that happens. We don't hear Mary's, oh, shit moment, Right? <laughs> Like, I don't think this all happened in a tight, nice, tidy, neat little package. To whatever degree it really did happen, um, it wasn't some nice, tidy, tied up in a bow situation. And that is another unfortunate part of sometimes what we get in, in even the Bible is we don't, we don't put it in the bigger context. Okay, what was it like for her as a human being? What did she feel inside of herself? What we get is, oh, Mary says, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so the sermons we might have heard in church was, and so we all need to just have that kind of attitude toward God. Be it done to me according to thy word. And if you can have that attitude, you can, you know, be happy in Christ and have a vibrant living in faith. And it's like, yeah, and that's not the necessarily the case. I have these moments when I'm like, no, I do not want this. I do not want to be the bearer of the Messiah. You know, like maybe Mary said that somewhere. 
I, if it were me, would have said that, but of course I am a different person perhaps, a bit more stubborn than others. So the scripture that I want to share, though, is the, this idea that Mary had some kind of encounter with God that transformed her in a way that she did get to this point of surrender and openness to being a, a, a vessel of God's kingdom coming into the world. And I envision a much more uh, expanded version of that story being what really happened that got her to the point where she could pray this prayer, which is called the Magnificat of Mary. So join me as we hear the words of Mary. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. So what is it that happened in Mary's life that got her to this point? We don't know exactly, but we do know that she encountered God in a way that transformed her attitude um, and as, as to what she did with this reality that she was given. In the contemplative and spiritual traditions of the church, there are these twin ideas of consolation and desolation. And consolation is the idea that within the spiritual version, that we experience presence of God, that, that there are ordinary consolations, like things are going well in my life, I'm in a good place, I feel consoled, content, all is well. So circumstances can give us a psychological or emotional or mental sense of consolation. But when God somehow becomes a part of that, we call it a spiritual consolation as opposed to an ordinary consolation. So it's those moments of life like Mary where something happens and God shows up. Sometimes like with Mary, it's a dark moment perhaps where it's like, oh my gosh, what? And yet because God shows up, we can endure it and we have a transformed view of it and we have a resiliency that helps us keep going even in the face of the darkness. So consolation is that sense of connection that I think joy is connected with, that ultimately joy is not something that comes from circumstances. And it's not necessarily something we can choose, but it's a gift from God. It's a, it's a knowing of God's presence so deeply in our innermost being that that even when everything is falling apart, we have this resource that we go back to and we remember it has not always been this way. I have known a presence. I have known a support, a strength that will carry me through. Consolation. 
And on the other hand is this the concept of desolation. And desolation is exactly that. You're in that for, forbidden place, that abandoned place, that forlorn place, that brokenhearted place. And you feel like there's no hope. And there's ordinary desolation, which is just what everybody has, the ups and downs of life that, you know, no matter how many uh, self-help seminars you go to, no matter how many good books you read, no matter how much therapy you go to, no matter how enlightened you become, you're going to have desolation at times. You're going to struggle. You're going to have times where you're like, oh, God, it's just, it's just terrible. And you may be doing... You may end up having to sit on your couch and do puzzles because it's just a plague and there's nothing else to do. You know, that's ordinary. And a lot we're all going through an ordinary desolation because of the pandemic slash plague. Um, and then there's spiritual desolation, which is when we feel the absence of God's presence. That even in good times, even when everything else is going right, you might feel like, where's God? I've lost that connection. I don't know. I don't know where God is. It makes more sense when circumstances are desolate for us to feel like God is gone, right? But it's very difficult when everything on the outside in our life seems right and we feel like God is gone. So consolation and desolation are, are these uh, variables that operate in the human life, both at an ordinary level, but also within our faith and in terms of our spiritual awareness. And one of the gifts of the mystical or contemplative traditions of the church is there's a real emphasis on what a lot of us are doing now when we go to therapy, is we're learning to listen to the interior stirrings of our soul. We're learning to really pay attention to what's really going on inside of me that I keep going and doing that thing I don't want to do. Like we have these, these behavioral problems or these anxieties or depressions, and we go, oh, okay, they're not just about me not managing it well, and if I just read another book, I'm going to make it. No, we have to go within and understand these energies within us that, that activate and cause the symptoms or motivate us to go seek a soothing or a solution outside of ourselves. And so this practice of interior listening is another opportunity of Advent, is to take time to move within ourselves and listen for what is actually going on inside. And, and then to ask the question, spiritual awareness, so psychological awareness, ordinary awareness is just that work that you might do in therapy, but when we bring God or our faith or our spiritual connection to whatever it is we, we believe about the creation in the universe, then it is a spiritual kind of awareness that we're asking not just how am I feeling, what are the steerings in me, but where is God in this? How is God working in my time of consolation and delight? You know, I, I say not just, I, I'd say, is God here? Is God somewhere in this? And can I, can I see God in it? Or if we're in our desolation, where is God in this? So learning to see God in the darkness and in the light, both. So that's the opportunity. Well, I think that Mary's worst moment 
could have been finding out she was pregnant. But I imagine her worst moment was probably when she saw Jesus crucified. We all have different variations of what the worst moment is. The worst moment of my recent life was Friday when I had to go for a colonoscopy. <laughs> uh, maybe too much information, but <laughs> when you do a colonoscopy, there's a day of prep where you have to drink only liquids. And then at the end of that day, when you don't have any food in your system, you take like an entire like month's worth of laxative in 64 ounces of Gatorade and you have to like pound it down in two or three hours. It is a miserable experience. But if you value your health, once you get into your 40s or 50s, you start doing that because if they find colon cancer early, they can treat it. That's cool, but going through the process to find that out really sucks. So I'm going to this procedure, and my dear friend Joy, thanks be to God, drove me with masks in my car, but I get there. I get into the place. I get into my gown. They put me on the bed. It's 12.15. I'm scheduled for 1 o'clock, and, and they get an IV, and I'm laying there. Nobody's coming. Nothing's happening, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Where, when is something going to happen? Um, I get cold. Somebody, I say, hey, excuse me, bring a blanket. This long waiting process. And finally, at like about 1.30, the anesthesiologist shows up. And I'm feeling like I keep breathing. I'm like, okay, God, let me just be still. No, you, I'm trying to pray, but I'm very nervous. And the anesthesiologist walks up and she's like, hello, I'm Dr. Townsend. I'm going to be your anesthesiologist. And I look at her and I'm like, and I look at her tag, I'm like, Jay? And she's like, yeah, and so we're all wearing masks. I said, it's Sissy, Maura Sisley, formerly known as, and she knows me as that. And it was like, oh my gosh, Jay is here. And this is a woman I know just from a few encounters, but she's come to one of our um, Alive and Well events uh, a few years ago, and we're friends on Facebook. I saw her at a Quaker meeting one Sunday, and we've had this connection that's been a soul connection, a divine kind of connection. And so I was so delighted. It was a moment of ordinary consolation, like, oh my gosh, this I feel like I'm not alone in this. Somebody I know is here. It was very encouraging at that moment. And we had a nice conversation. And she said, we're running late, and da-da-da-da. And then she went away. And I just sat there, and I was filled with gratitude. I had this moment of thanking, feeling like God was telling me, it's OK, you're not alone. That became a spiritual consolation because not only did I just take in the good of the human encounter, but I was like, oh, but God, God is here with me. And I could take that in as well. So the practice of spiritual awareness is to begin to develop this, this way of looking at our lives that asks, where is God and where am I with God? on a kind of ongoing basis to check in with ourselves. Jesus comes for those waiting. The next scripture I want to look at is Isaiah. And this is the scripture that in the Gospels we see Jesus go into the temple one day and picks up this very scripture, the scroll, and reads it 
in the midst of the synagogue and says at the end, today this scripture has been fulfilled among you. And so let's look at Isaiah 61 and what Jesus said about his mission here on earth. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And then it goes on from there. But it's this message that it's into the lives of the broken, the oppressed, the captives, the mourning, that Jesus comes. Jesus said himself, those who are well have no need of a physician. I've not come for those who are well, but for the sick and the suffering. And these are the places where God can really meet us in an encounter that is, is transformative. The problem, again, to go back to how many of us were raised, is that we focus on the end part as though it's a final and done thing. That, oh, well, we used to be broken and forlorn and, and addicts and all that. But now, you know, now that we have Jesus, we are the oaks of righteousness. We are the planting of the Lord to display his glory. And there are these songs that I remember about, let this be the generation, oh God, that raises the people up. And, you know, and all that is great and fine. But if you don't talk about the other parts of it, it's missing a whole aspect of what makes for mature faith. And so this is the message, is that the presence of God, the presence of God that you experienced in your faith tradition is real. The thing that brought you to faith, the encounters you had that gave you a sense of love, of belonging, those things that you've maybe begun to deconstruct, the presence is real. Don't throw out that when you're deconstructing and getting rid of the bad theology, the BS that, that made it also abusive for some people, also traumatizing for some people. A lot of you have come to New Abbey because this is a place where you can be yourself. But in the process of becoming yourself and free, don't just abandon it all and say goodbye to Jesus, the Jesus that held you and loved you and gave you hope. I first met an encounter with Jesus when I was in junior high. The worst thing in my life was when my dad and mom got divorced before junior high. And I spent a couple years crying myself to sleep at night, but I had somewhere in me a sense of God that I wasn't alone. I, I couldn't have told you much beyond that, but I knew that God was real because I was raised in the Catholic tradition with some sense of that. But there was presence there. 
And then when I went to the evangelical camp that put it all in a nice little box and pamphlet and said, here you go, I was like, oh, yes, I know this. I know this and I want this. I was born again and I had a living encounter with Christ. I'm holding on to that. There was a lot of stuff about what I experienced over the next five to ten years in that tradition that I've had to deconstruct and let go of. But I've held on to that presence. That is the thing that Advent is about. Holding on to this presence of God that loves you, that wants you more than anything else to know how deeply, fully, and unreservedly loved you are. That's the message of the, of the Christmas story, is God's love for us. So that presence is the consolation. I had those moments of consolation in my bed crying, at camp, meeting Jesus, being born again, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. These were real things, encounters with God. My prayer for us as a community is that we don't throw those things out. We don't throw out the relationship with the ideology and the theology and the problematic parts of it. As we look at this idea that God is everywhere and God is in everything, God is with us in the times where we're experiencing God as well as in the times where God feels absent, I want to turn to another scripture that is also one of the scriptures for Advent Sunday, the third week of Advent, and it's Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Nejeb, or the desert. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves or their harvest. This psalm really shows us this journey that is a real part of the history of God's people, that in the Old Testament with Israel, there's this remembering in the midst of a time where they've come up against a desert again or desolation. The psalmist says, remembers that our, there was this time when our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues were singing shouts of joy, when we could declare in an authentic way, the Lord has done great things for us. We rejoiced. And then it's like, restore us, bring us back to that time, God. So it's this both and. It's There was a time when we felt God's presence so near and real, and now we're in this desolate place, and we're like, God, where are you? But remembering that there were these other moments is part of the practice of spiritual awareness that increases our resiliency and our capacity to endure things like a pandemic or a plague. And so the, the history of our faith includes these valuable prayers that pray, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy, going out weeping, may we come back rejoicing. 
This psalm was a psalm that Dave, my late husband, quoted in the wedding program for our wedding uh, 31 years ago. Both Dave and I had been very broken. We'd been among the oppressed, the captives. We were struggling in our lives when we met each other. And over the three years we dated, we both experienced a lot of healing. And when I discovered that these three passages, uh, Luke and Isaiah and Psalm 126 were today's passages, I thought to myself, wait a minute, that was part of our wedding program. And I went and pulled it out, and I discovered that, yes, in fact, both the Luke passage and the Psalm 126 were in our wedding program. At the bottom of my side of the program was the words of Mary, that the Lord has looked tenderly upon his servant. I am fulfilled with joy. And at the bottom of Dave's side was Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. We were bearing witness to the fact that God had met us in the desert places, the desolate places. We build the capacity for resiliency through facing hard things. And learning the skills that help us do that is an important part of our spiritual practice. When Dave died... Uh, 22 months ago, one of the things I said at New Abbey is that that was not the worst thing that had ever happened to me. It seemed like it should be to have your husband suddenly die of a heart attack riding his bike at the Rose Bowl. But I recognized that I had built through years of facing harder things like being a child in seventh grade, having no, nobody to help me navigate a divorce, no, no skills of myself, no, no adult helping me. And then encountering God through various places, going to therapy, experiencing what that was, that there were these ways I had learned and developed the capacity. So when Dave died, I had this skill set. To, for inner awareness, I knew how to navigate big feelings. I knew how to grieve. I've been doing it and training and helping others do it for my whole career. I had friends. I had trusted spiritual allies who I could be completely honest with about my life. These are the things that help us build resilience. Our own spiritual practices, our psychological work, our community, being authentic and, and just bearing our souls, having at least one person, a few friends that we can do that with. And these things equip us so that on the morning after Dave died, I'm standing in my kitchen having maybe slept two hours at most, and I'm in shock. And I'm standing there, and I have this moment where Dave came to me. He didn't come to me. I didn't see him. But I had this sense of Dave's presence saying to me, I am so sorry I had to go, but I'm still with you. I'm going to be with you. And everything that we were doing and everything we were going to do, now we're going to do it in a different way. You're going to be there in body form, and I'm here on this side of reality. 
And it was a consolation. It was a God moment where I was met because I was open and receptive and because I wasn't falling apart over the grief. If I had not done the work of 30 years of various therapy and various forms of spiritual practices, I might have fallen apart. A lot of people do. But you have witnessed my life, people. I have endured. You know, I have come out of this resilient, working at New Abbey, living a good life. I wouldn't have wanted to do this this way. I wish Dave could be here, but he is here. In the darkness, we need to remember that we are not alone. And this is the gift of our faith. And we work, we have to work to cultivate this consciousness that we can stay connected even when we're in desolation. Because the danger is that in desolation, that's where we lose our faith. That's where people abandon it. And if we're not prepared, then that's, we're more susceptible to that. What the tradition tells us about desolation and consolation, there's a great saint called Ignatius, and he had, this is a summary of what he had to say about spiritual awareness and practicing spiritual awareness. For Ignatius, spiritual persons do not allow themselves to be borne along passively by the inevitable alterations of spiritual consolation and desolation. On the contrary, they live with constant spiritual awareness. They are aware of spiritual desolation and choose to think about it in certain faith-based ways. We could have a whole class on that. But they choose to think about spiritual desolation in faith-based ways while experiencing it. That is why we do quiet times. That is why we read the Bible. That is why we go to therapy and spiritual direction. They are also aware of spiritual consolation and choose, while experiencing it, to think ahead to future spiritual desolation and to prepare for it. Ongoing daily efforts to live with such spiritual awareness form the discerning person living the examined spiritual life. So the opportunity for us in the midst of our plague is to cultivate this capacity to think about desolation from a certain faith-based practice, that God has been with me before, that God is with me now, whether I can experience God or not, and God will be with me later and that consolation will come. There will be a time when I won't be suffering from the plague or worrying about how am I gonna get through Christmas without anybody in my house. We learn that in the times of consolation, we don't hold it too tightly. As though, well, I just if I just work hard enough and do all this, I'll always feel good. No, it's not gonna happen. Things are going to fall apart again. And so the opportunity we have, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, 
and ransom captive Maura Sicily from her pandemic prison. <laughs> we are invited to pray and to beseech God and say, cry out, come God, come. To keep coming back and praying even when it feels like our prayers aren't being answered. And really the answer to all our prayers is God's presence. Circumstances come and go, yeah, you may get the job, you may not, but God's presence is really uh, what prayer is all about, is cultivating this deep connection to where God is in our lives. So the opportunity as we come to our closing conversation, joy, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get to really feel and experience joy this holiday. I hope so. But I am going to work at looking at what is not wrong in my life. On the way here, there was a lady standing by the freeway exit begging for money. I went into my pocketbook and pulled out a $5 bill and gave it to her. That is not wrong. A lot of widows end up there. There is not, that is not wrong. I have something that is not wrong in my life. I'm not standing by the corner asking for money. What is not wrong in your life today? You're on a computer. You must have a computer. That is not wrong. You've got electricity. So the, this cultivating a capacity to maybe not even look for the good things of life, but just to notice what is not wrong is the opportunity we have during this strange Christmas that we're going to be encountering. So as you go into your conversations, that is your question. What, how will you practice spiritual awareness of what is not wrong to help you endure the pandemic? Enjoy your conversations. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.